Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're wrapping up the book of Ecclesiastes as we walk through that book this summer. And uh, we looked at this journal from uh, Solomon. He's looked at life and the things that he's done. A young medical student went to the teacher following a lecture and said, I've been reading my text and have been listening to your class lectures. There are various points at which your lectures disagree with the textbook assigned for class, to which the professor replied, really? Bring me your book and show me where there's a disagreement. So when the student did that, pointing here and there to several contradictions, the professor calmly yet deliberately ripped the pages from the book, wadded them up and threw them away and said, there, now it agrees with me. We tend to do that sometimes with God's word. Those things that maybe rub us the wrong way, the things we don't agree with. We want to maybe tear out and wad up and throw it away. But it's there for our good. It's there for our purpose for us to be built up in our faith. And so that's the kind of the mystery of Solomon's journal. So as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, and maybe if you've worked through Ecclesiastes before, you're kind of like, that's really odd. I'm not sure I believe this. I'm not sure I agree with this. I'm not sure that really I kind of like what he's saying about life. And so we want to maybe kind of wad it up and throw it away. Back in the beginning of the book in chapter one, he gives us the, the kind of the outline of the entire book. And what he says is, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's the tone of the entire book. And so what Solomon says is, it's a study in vanity. Remember that word for vanity means chasing after the wind or something that's fleeting, a vapor that's here and gone tomorrow. And so it's a life study. So vanity appears no less than 30 times in all but two chapters in the entire book. It's the same monotonous theme over and over and over. And as you uh, maybe perhaps read through Ecclesiastes, as we walked through it this summer, you're like, he just says the same thing over and over. It's meaningless. It's futile. It's vain. And then in verse 3, chapter 1, he says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? He picks up on that theme and says, We live this life and we do all these things and then it's over. And what have we got to show for it? And so he includes in this journal a, a playboy lifestyle. He tries pleasure. He has a philosophical lifestyle. He thinks about things. Uh, sometimes he's the rebel, and sometimes he's a skeptic, and sometimes he's a cynic. And all through that he goes. And so he comes now in chapter 12, and he once again concludes the matter in verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So from beginning to end, Solomon says this life is meaningless. It's vain. It's a chasing after the wind. The author of the book of Job, Robert Short, says, was the consummate dramatist. We read through Job. He says the psalmist was a lyrical poet. The author of Jonah knew how to tell a fascinating story. The author of Genesis and Exodus was a historical novelist who could recount powerful sagas of epic proportions. He says, but Ecclesiastes? He says, ah, the preacher, also no mean poet. He says, but fundamentally, he was an artist of another sort. He was a photographer. Photography means, or photograph literally means, written with light. And so what Solomon does is he has these snapshots of light, and so he takes a snapshot of a dark valley and light, and he goes, click. And then he has some cynicism, click. And he has some doubt, click. He has some despair, click. Some gloom, click. Some depression, the endlessness of the futility of work. And he goes and looks at all these snapshots of life, and he develops the prints, and he labels each one the same, emptiness, emptiness emptiness, emptiness. 
And so Solomon looks at life under the sun. He's giving this life perspective under the sun. And so he begins his sermon that way, and he also ends it that way. And so now we get to the very end of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 9. Now, Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there is Solomon, he's talking, and he says, I did this, and I did that, and I observed this. And we get to chapter 12 and verse 9, and now the, the, uh, the tense switches to the third person. It's no longer I, but here is someone talking about Solomon. So it seems like those first few verses of the book and these last few verses of the book, it's what's called the frame narrator. It's a narrator who framed the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we read now in chapter 12 and verse 9, this frame narrator who gives us the summary of the book. And really it's in two sections. One is personal and one is very practical. One is horizontal about life, but the other is also vertical about our relationship with God. E. Stanley Jones tells a story about a retired couple on a cruise. They had retired on plenty. They had no needs. They were... However, always angry at the table stewards for not giving them supper service. They seemed to be afraid they might starve between courses. Their physical appetite seemed to be the one thing that mattered to them. Stanley says, I never saw them reading a book or a paper. They sat between meals and they stared out, apparently waiting for the next meal. One night, I saw them sitting and staring blankly when a bright idea flashed across the dull brain of the man. He went to the mantelpiece, he picked up the vases on the mantelpiece, he looked in them, and he said, they're empty. And Stanley Jones said, I came near laughing. He was right, they're empty, but it wasn't merely the vases. The souls and the brains of both of them were empty. They had much in their purses, but nothing in their persons. And that was their punishment. They had security with boredom, no adventure. They had expanding girths, but narrow horizons. The miserable pair was living from one meal to the next and from one experience to the next. And they finally uttered this despair. It's all empty. That's what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes. He looks out and he says, it's all empty. It's meaningless. So look what the writer in verse uh, 9 says in chapter 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched and set out and and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Solomon was wise, and he imparted knowledge. But do you notice what it says? He took care in producing this book. When we read Ecclesiastes, what he did was he pondered and he searched out and he set in order. That word for that is to sift. What he did was he went through all the words that he could have used and he sifted them and he found just the right words to say. And didn't he ever say that? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says there's a time and a season for everything, right? A time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, and a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to refrain from dancing. And so Solomon, in giving us this wisdom, sifted, and he gave us just the right words. He pondered over it. He edited what he was wanting to say. And he gave us just those great things. And he didn't sacrifice truth because it says he found just the right words in verse 10, and he wrote what was upright and true. So we have the true words of the Lord in Ecclesiastes, but Solomon sifted them and gave us just the right words. And now he gets practical. Look at verse 11. 
The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. What Solomon gives us is he gives us some ben, uh, practical benefits to wisdom. And the first thing he says is this, is that wisdom is a stimulus to godly living. He says the words of the wise are like goads. Do you know what a goad is? It's a long stick with a point on it. And it's what the uh, farmer would use to get the beast of burden to move. If the oxen were carrying the, hauling the cart and they didn't want to move, you got the goad out and you poked them with this stick. And it, the sharp point would hopefully get them to move. So not only did it get them to move, but it got them to go in the right direction. And so he's walking along, and if they wanted to tend to get off the path, the goad would get them back on the path. And so what happens is the goad is painful, but it also is necessary. And haven't you found that to be true with God's word and with the, with the wisdom literature? It's painful, but it's necessary. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. The words of the wise are like goads. It hurts sometimes, but it helps us to go in the right direction. Do you remember in the book of Acts when Saul was persecuting the church and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in this blinding light, the Lord had come to Saul and then Saul later became the apostle Paul and he had this great ministry to the Gentiles and he was retelling his story. He retold his story a couple times in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 26 and verse 14, in telling this story, he said, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The Lord wanted Saul to go in a direction. And when we kick against them, guess what happens? It hurts. And so we kick against God's word. We don't want to do what it says. Who gets hurt? It's us. So the goads, the words of the wise are stimulus for godly living. Not only that, it's a secure basis for godly living. He says those words of the wise are like firmly embedded nails you think of the culture at the time, it could even be a tent stake. So the tent was put in with these firmly embedded stakes in the ground so that when the winds came and the storms came, the tent would not fly away. What does it do? It provides a secure basis. It provides a stability in life. Haven't you found that to be true with God's word? It's a secure basis. It provides a sure foundation for our lives. In fact, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So it's a, it's a stimulus to godly living. It's a secure basis for godly living, but it's also a guide for godly living. Who are these things given by? Well, Ecclesiastes tells us it is given by one shepherd. The shepherd guides, and the shepherd moves along. So these goads and nails are given by one shepherd. It's, it suggests to us that, that God is behind all of this. In fact, he says in verse 12, Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. We find this caution in other books of the Bible about adding to it, right? And so we tend to want to take what God gives us, and then we want to add to it. And we try to improve on it. We try to make it better. But the one shepherd says, No, I've given you what you need to know. Don't go searching in other places and don't start adding to it. The shepherd reflects God's care and God's concern. And so we have these benefits of wisdom. And if we want to live a life 
that is a godly life. We will take what Solomon has given us in Ecclesiastes, what God has given us in his word, and we hear it, and we apply it, and we allow it to move us in life, the direction we need to go. But, oh, we like to rip those pages out, don't we? Maybe not physically, but we'll say, I'll just skip over that. God, I don't like what you're saying here. I'm going to go to a better place in the Bible. Oh, we all love the Psalms, right? We all love to be there. Those great words of encouragement. Not so much the denying yourself and take up your cross parts, but we love the other parts. You see, what happens is we pick and choose. And what, what Ecclesiastes reminds us is sometimes we just need, we need goaded. We need pushed a little bit. We need poked and prodded because we are generally not wanting to move in some directions that we need to move in. You see, the words of the wise are like our own personal trainer. You know, why do people hire personal trainers? Because they need somebody that they're paying all kinds of money to, to be this far from their face, yelling at them to get back on the treadmill, spitting all over them, get on there. Why? Because I don't want to do it by myself. So I'm paying you to yell at me and spit on me so I can get on the treadmill. It's for my good. That's what the writer Ecclesiastes says, the words of God. They're they're those goads for our good. It's that thing that, that moves us along. And so we get to verse 12, and he says, Be warned, my son. So this is common throughout the wisdom literature. Oftentimes in Proverbs, Solomon's talking to his son. And so now the narrator is speaking to his son, and we see that. And so now we are in the place of the son as we are reading God's word. And so when Solomon says, my son, what he's saying is to us that we listen and we heed what he is saying. But look what he says. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, verse 12, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, for you students, you are back at school... College students are back at college, and if any of them have come home, they're probably sleeping all weekend. Why? Because much study wearies the body. All that scheduling and all the books and all the reading and all, like mental energy takes a lot of energy. Did you know that there are somewhere between 600,000 and 1 million books produced in the United States every year? of Of the making of many books, there is no end. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes reminds us that we are to stick with the book, with the book that God has given us, because we can run and we can chase all other places for all kinds of answers. And he says, but wait a minute, don't go beyond what in addition to these He says, much study. And when the context, what he's meaning is, is that the son is looking for answers in other places. We love to find answers in other places besides God's word. Do you ever notice the self-help section in the bookstore? It is huge. And I always wonder, why are they continuing to print more self-help books if they actually worked? Like, if you read a self-help book, you should have helped yourself. Why do you need to go back and get another self-help book? Or the, this place in the bookstore keeps expanding. Obviously, the self-help books are not working. We're helping ourselves to the book. The author is helping themselves to our money. But I'm not getting any farther in my life. That's what Solomon's saying. Of many, making many books, there's no end. 
It's a continual thing over and over and over and over again. He says, but listen, my son, you listen to what I say. You listen to what God says. You use his word. You use his word and what he says. And when you do that, you will have this this secure basis for your life. You'll have this, this guide of the shepherd. And so Solomon, at the end of Ecclesiastes, we hear about the personal aspects of the teacher and these very practical things. And then he comes to the conclusion. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Now here's the thing. You could go from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and skip to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, and say, man, why did I have to go through all that to get to this, to find the conclusion? Listen, there is no meaningful conclusion without a meaningful middle. You have to have all the stuff in the middle. You walk into a movie, the last three minutes of the movie, you're not going to understand what the movie was about, or you're going to misunderstand what you're seeing on the screen. So Solomon says, here's the conclusion of the matter, but I needed to take you on this journey. I needed you to go with me through all these places where we look in life and we say, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous don't? Why is there not justice? Why do people who should be punished not get punished? And why do those who don't get punished, why do they get punished? Why is there an unfairness in life? Why is life so bleak? So we have to go through all of that journey to make the ending meaningful. And here's what he says. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You know what the conclusion is in the book of Ecclesiastes? It's this right here. Take God seriously and do what he says. That's that's the bottom line for, for everything in life. He says, don't become so preoccupied with the meaninglessness of life that you forget to see God in all of life. We go through this journey with Solomon and we can say, dude, you are very depressing. You're always talking about this meaninglessness of life. And Solomon's like, yes, I am, because I want you to see that if you are living only for this life, it is futile. It is vain. It comes up empty. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, the New American Standard says this. It's on your notes. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. You need to underline that. applies to every person. Guess who that is? That's you. And that's me. It applies to every person. Every person who lives under the sun is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And so to fear God means to take God seriously. It means to establish a right relationship with him. It means to maintain a relationship that is pleasing to him. The fear of the Lord is the reverence and the respect that he deserves because he's God and we're not. It's to live in a right relationship with God, that he gets to call the shots. He gets to prod me along in my life because he is the creator. He is the shepherd of my life. And so Solomon says, the conclusion of life, the conclusion of all of life is this, is to take God seriously and do what he says. Because when you take God seriously and do what he says, you will ultimately find what it is that you've been looking for. 
Solomon says, I've tried pleasure, and it came up empty. I built many houses. I planted gardens. I have all kinds of possessions, and everything came up empty. And now here's what I want to tell you, is that when we are pursuing those things of life, they will always come up empty. So the conclusion is this, is take God seriously and do what he says. And then life will be enjoyable. Then we will find meaning in this meaningless existence that Solomon has painted for us. In fact, in Proverbs 1.7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom? Why is that? Because we're going to take God seriously and we're going to do what he says. Because we look at his word and we say, Lord, you mean what you say. And I'm going to do what you say. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of a knowledgeable life. He says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon, through all this journey that we have been on, says the the conclusion is this. Take God seriously and do what he says. You say, well, you know, that's kind of good advice. But I kind of want to do my own thing. I'm going to put God over here. Let him be over there, and I'm going to kind of do my own thing in life. Well, Solomon's not done yet. Look at the last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Those are very sobering words. What Solomon says is this. I went through life... And I did all the things of life, and I was pursuing meaning in life, and I didn't find life. And listen, Solomon did things that were not right. God said, don't marry a lot of foreign women, because they're going to lead your hearts astray. What does he do? He marries foreign women, and his heart is led astray. And so, at the end of the book, he says, the reason we fear God, the reason that we do what he says, is because nothing goes unnoticed. The old old joke, I've forgotten far more than I remember, is true sometimes. We feel that way. But Dr. Wilbur Penfield, he's a director at the Montreal Neurological Institute, in a report to the Smithsonian Institute said this, Your brain contains a permanent record of your past that is like a single strip of a movie film complete with soundtrack. This film library records your whole waking life from childhood on. You can live again those scenes from your past one at a time when a surgeon applies a gentle electrical current to a certain point on the temporal cortex of your brain. As you relive scenes from the past, you feel the exact same emotions you did during the original experience. Here's the thing. It's all in there. It's just the access that we have difficulty with. (laughs) It's just the recall that we have difficulty with. Our brains record everything, but we can't go back in there and access it. So, listen, you're not getting forgetful. You're just having problems accessing the hard drive. That's all it is. But it is is in there. And so Solomon reminds us at the end of Ecclesiastes, we are answerable to God for every deed, 
whether it's noticed or unnoticed, for everything that we have done, whether we realize it's good or bad, we are accountable to God for every single thing that we have done. Every word that we have said, every thought that we have thought, we are accountable to God. Everything will be brought into judgment. Everything, he says, will be laid bare. Now, on the one hand, this is encouraging as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember those things that Solomon struggled with. The poor person becomes a king, and then the kingdom goes haywire. And those who are suffering injustice don't get justice. And I see, he says, those things in life that are not fair and that are not right and that shouldn't be the way that they are. And what Solomon reminds us is, listen, all those things never go unnoticed. Think about the hurts and the slights that you've had in your life. People have said an unkind word, maybe slandered you, maybe did something evil against you. And it seems like they are off now this morning and they're out living their happy life. And in our hearts we cry and we say, where is the justice? Why don't they get what, they're, what they deserve? I just want things to be set straight. And inside of each of us, there's that sense of, of fairness and we want equity and we want all those things. And if we are just living life under the sun, we can look and we can say, it's just not right. And Solomon says, listen, That person, everything that they've done has not gone unnoticed. Everything, that, every word that they've said, every horrible thing that they've done to you has has not gone unnoticed. Now, the world may have not noticed. Uh, You haven't forgot. Others may have forgotten. But listen, God doesn't forget. Every deed is going to be brought out into the open. Now, by now, that is great. We're thinking that's great for my enemies. But it's not so great for me because I'm included in all of that as well. You know, some things that I have done that have hurt other people that I maybe didn't recognize or that I don't know that I did, that's going to be brought out as well. All the idle words that I have said, all those mean things, all those, 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 uh, those, uh, those evil things, it's all going to be brought out. And so Ecclesiastes ends, I'm not, <laughs> listen, it can almost end on a more sour note than everything is meaningless. Oh, everything is meaningless, and besides that, everything you done, have ever done is going to be opened up and laid bare. Why does it close? Because Ecclesiastes reminds us that we cannot live life any way that we want and get away with it. We can't just run wild and then wink at God every once in a while as we're running past. He reminds us that what? What is the conclusion of the matter? To take God seriously and do what it says. And that is for every person. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to sweat a little bit. There's some things I don't want to have known. There are some things I forgot about I don't want to be reminded of again. See, listen, Solomon is, is living where? He is living before the cross. He is living before Jesus. He was looking at life under the sun. For Solomon, eternity and eternal life wasn't even on his radar. He was only looking at the unequitable distribution of justice under this earth, under the sun, right? On this earth. 
That's where his focus was. But Ecclesiastes is on the other side of the cross. We are on this side of the cross. Ecclesiastes is in comparative darkness to what we have now is the full light of the gospel. But Ecclesiastes does say in chapter 3, God has made everything appropriate in his time. He has set eternity in our hearts. So there's this part of us that is eternal. And would we be as content as Solomon with all the enigmas of life, all the questions of life, to get to the end of our life, not having understanding that there's an afterlife or that there is a God, would we still be content as Solomon to say, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to leave this life a better place than what I found it. See, sometimes we're only in it for the reward. But are we in it just to be in it? Are we in it just to do the thing that honors God, regardless if there's a payoff or not? Would you do the right thing if you knew there was no heaven or hell? Would you do the right thing if you knew that God would not take anything into account in our lives? You see, that's really where the rubber meets the road. Where we can say, Lord, I would still do the right thing because I'm still accountable to you as my creator and I am the creature but we have a reward on this side of the cross, and we know that that is Jesus. So do you want to know how to handle the reckoning in your life? It's always Jesus, isn't it? It is always Jesus. He is the one that fills in the blank. It's Christ. How do we handle this day of reckoning in our lives? Listen, that wasn't just for the audience of Ecclesiastes. This is for all of us as well. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Why is it going to be hidden things? Because we tend to think we're a little better than we are. We tend to minimize our evil and magnify the evil of others. We tend to think that we're pretty okay and everybody else isn't. So every hidden thing is going to be revealed as well so that we can see that we're no better than anybody else. We're also no worse than anyone else. Look on your notes, Revelation chapter 20. This is the promise that we have in the future. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Do you know who the great and the small is? The great and small is the kings and the peasant. The great and small is the wise person and the fool. The great and small is the CEO and the janitor. The great and small is those who had power and prestige and those who did it. The great and the small, right? All those are going to be standing before the Lord. And in fact, the great and the small are only great and small from this life that we think are great and small. Because here's what's going to happen. Standing before the throne and the books were opened. The books, is it plural or singular? Books, plural. It's open. And what's open? Exactly what Ecclesiastes just told us. Every deed is going to be in uh, judgment, including everything. And it goes on to say, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the singular or plural. Books. The dead are judged according to what's in the books. But there is another book 
Singular. Did you catch that? We skipped over it. Did you see what the other book was? I saw all the books were being opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. This is the Lamb's book of life, that when you become a Christian, when you receive the gift of salvation, God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. And so here's the hope that we have for life not just under the sun, but life above the sun. All of our deeds are going to be laid bare and open in the books. It's all going to be there. Everything is going to be open. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. It doesn't say there's no embarrassment. We're going to stand there and we're going to say, oh, I forgot. Oh, no, I did that. But there's a books, right? This pile of books. But there's another what? What's over here? A book. And the book is the Lamb's book of life. And so what Jesus does is he cross-references. He says, I see all the stuff that's in this books. Jeff, here's everything you've done in the books. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to go over here and check this book. L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S, Steppy. You're in the book. Which means there's now no condemnation for you. There is vindication that because of Jesus, all that stuff is not going to be held against you. Isn't that great news? It's awesome news. Every deed laid bare, everything's going to be open, all that stuff is going to be there, but that's all in the books. But there's another place. It is the book. And God goes down and he cross-references. He says, if you're in the book, you're mine. And you, there you are. See, Solomon didn't understand that. But we understand that. So yes, it can be both. That So every deed can be brought into judgment and every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil, can be brought in. But remember, when we are, when our names are, are, are ju- when our deeds are just in the books, it's condemnation. But when our name is in the book, it's vindication. And do you know why all that stuff is going to be laid open and bare? It's so that none of us will say, man, I was pretty good. Whew, I'm in heaven because I deserve it. No, 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 no. All the books, all the stuff, all those thoughts that you've had since 10.15 this morning in church. I know you've had them. Because I have, let me tell you. (laughs) All that stuff is going to be there, and it's going to be open, and you're going to say, woe is me. And God's going to say, yes, woe is you, but... But for Jesus, your sins are not going to be held against you. Listen, there's going to be no bragging in heaven. None. We're not going to go and we're not going to go up to Mother Teresa and she's going to say, you're, you're a loser. Do you see all the great things I did in life? Uh, Mother Teresa, we just had the books open. You weren't that great. You really weren't. You did some good stuff for the poor, but you had some thoughts over there. You had some things over there, Right? Think about the best person you know, whoever that is. You're not going to run into them in heaven and say, whew, I'm glad you made it. I was worried about you. Not me. I'm here. Wait a minute. Did you not see all the stuff in the books? All the stuff you forgot? All, those, all the evil that you committed? All that stuff it was right there in the books? You're not here because of you. You're here because of Jesus. And then what a day of rejoicing it will be when we're all in heaven. 
You see, Ecclesiastes says every deed is going to be brought into judgment. And the New Testament says that as well. However, when our names are written in the book, it's not going to be condemnation. It's going to be vindication. God's going to say in spite of all of that. In spite of all. Can you imagine? Do you know why it's books multiple? It's because, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet now. How many have lived since the, since the beginning of time? And all, you, all the deeds are going to just pile up. How big's your book going to be? How big's my book going to be? Well, there's books, right? And all the sins of all humanity, all of those things are going to be piled and piled and piled and piled. And then the sacrifice of Jesus takes care of all of that if our names are in the book of life. Received by faith. So God is both just and the justifier. God is still true to who he is, but he doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't say it's okay. In fact, he says, look, it's it's all not okay, but here's the book of life because of Jesus. So we get to that place in life. So yes, life is meaningless. Life is a vapor if we only live for life under this sun. And we have no regard for God, but we take God seriously and he, we, we do what he says. And even in those moments when we don't take him seriously and we don't do what he says, we are still covered by the blood of Jesus because our name is still in the book. All the books, but our name is in the book. Is your name in the book? Have you given your life to Jesus? As your, has, the, has the blood of Jesus washed away your sin? Has Jesus paid the penalty for you so that on that day, God will say there's no penalty for you? My son took the penalty for you. Your name is in the book. And I'm not holding all the stuff in the books against you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever your Suffering now, Paul says this. You're like, Paul, you are crazy. What do you know about it? Well, listen, here's a guy who was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was hungry and naked. And in the, uh, he knows. And so if he can tell us our present sufferings are not worth compared to the glory going to be revealed in us, I think he knows what he's talking about. And he says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. You know what that word is? Futility. This life right now is subjected to futility. Not by its choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's the hope we have. That's the, that, that, that's the hope of eternal life. Paul knew and said that all release from futility in this life was accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, Solomon didn't know that. He thought the release from futility in life would just be getting a better job. He thought a release from futility in life would be getting a raise or a bigger house or finally have kids who who obey or finally whatever, right? Solomon could go down the list and he thought that whatever that was was going to release him from the futility of life and it only came up futile. And that's why more than 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know, I've been chasing the wind. Have you ever chased the wind? It's hilarious for other people to watch, but it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Solomon says, this is what I've been doing. I've been living this futile life. 
But Paul says we are released from the futility of life because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He is the one who voluntarily subjected himself to the curse so that he could release those who are under the curse. Because of his death, we find the meaning in life and in this world, even though we experience the world's hard knocks. That's life above the sun. Even though death still affects our lives, Jesus has defeated death so it doesn't hold on to us forever. You know, one of these days we are going to die and they're going to put our body in the ground. But you know what? Because of Jesus, it's not going to stay there forever. It's not when he returns, it's going to come back in that new glorified body. We're going to be released from sin and death and pain and sadness and all the stuff we struggle with now. That's the hope, Paul says. All of that is, that glory doesn't compare to what we're suffering right now. So the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that life is futile if all I'm doing is chasing life. But I'm to fear God. I am to take him seriously and do what he says. And what God does is he reaches down in this futility of life and he starts to draw us to himself. He starts to pick us out of the meaninglessness of life. Does your life feel meaningless this morning? Does your life feel just like that hamster on the wheel. It just keeps spinning and going and going and going like it's, it's doing nothing. It could be that we're just living for this life, trying to do the futile things in life that are not going to return what we want them to return. The bottom line is this. It's to take God seriously, to do what he says. If I, listen, if our name is in the book, can happen in this life that's going to cause us fear? What can happen in this life that's going to cause us to just go haywire? When our name is in the book, on the day that it matters, on the day that everything is open and laid bare, my name is in the book, I I don't have to fear that day as well. That's the life that Jesus came to bring. We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, and it's in the past tense. I have decided. But it, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the action only happened in the past. It means that there was a decision in the past that I'm presently living in. So what it means is, I have decided, and I'm still living in that decision. So we make a confirmation of that. I've, I've decided, I, I have decided. If you've decided to follow Jesus at some point in your life, would you sing this as just that recommitment, that reconfirmation? Yes, I have decided. There is a decision with continuing results in my life. Maybe you're not decided and your decision is still in the future. We can talk to you about that. Make that decision. Listen, life is hard. It's not a bowl full of cherries. It's the pits. It really is. But it's Jesus who reaches down into that and he gives us life. And he gives us eternal life that starts today, September 15th, 2019. Today is the first day of eternal life because we're going to be moving forward. And he's the one that gives the meaning to our meaningless existences without him. Would you please stand and we're going to